Matt just said go there for the third time. And so I don't know whether you heard that or not, but welcome, uh, listening world, to uh, Football Unfocused. Uh, after another unscheduled break, we started this year, 2023, um, in very impressive, uncharacteristically impressive based on the back end of last year, but in fest- impressive form of regularity, knocking out uh, an episode a week and really starting to build a bit of momentum and narrative. And then we just inexplicably had a month <laughs> off um, and just... <laughs> sort of didn't contact each other to say, do you want to do an episode? And then one contacts the other and then we just go, yeah, all right, let's, let's, let's do one then. And so here we are. Um, this is, if you've never heard this before, God help you. This is a podcast ostensibly about football, kind of, um, uh, hosted by uh, I, Mark, and uh, my good friend and colleague and mentor, Matthew. <laughs> no, that's very generous of you. Um, I you went to mentor. mentor. Well, <laughs> but I no, I thought, I thought, because the last time we recorded, or the last time we tried to record, I said, oh, I don't like to record episodes on Friday. And mm. I don't think you were too impressed with that. Uh, I'm never impressed by anything you say. Matthew. No, I know. And I, and I thought you got a bit annoyed Despite with me. you're my mentor. No, Matthew, no. no, no. And, then I, and then we didn't record for a couple of weeks. I was like, oh, no, you really have. You've, you've re- you really have put two and two <laughs> together and made five, or as the Americans call it, five. <laughs> so, it's a partridge reference there again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Didn't need explaining, but some people don't obsessively listen to every word that Alan Partridge ever said on uh, on podcast and TV and radio. Um, no, but it's actually quite, quite, I'm quite pleased you brought that up because it does allow us to open a window into your um, molly coddled and self-indulgent world in which rather like Chris Evans, who caused a lot of controversy uh, in the, I believe it was the mid to late nineties when he essentially just walked into radio one <laughs> as the most successful DJ of the era and, and best DJ of the era and said, I don't do Fridays. Um, and that was non-negotiable. It was like, if you don't like it, I'm off. Um, and then I think they sort of called his bluff, and he was off. And then he went and bought Virgin Radio, so yeah, yeah. show, and then didn't do didn't Fridays. Do Fridays. <laughs> so, so you are, I think despite was... ironically hosting a show called TFI Friday. Yeah, yeah. Oh. But th- I think that was the thing. I think he just stopped turning up. So he did, yeah. uh, for a time, I think he was doing Friday morning and then doing the TFI Fridays in the in the evening. Yeah. But then I think he just got so sick of it, he just stopped turning up on the Friday morning to do yes. the radio show. And then I think after a time, because I remember like there was some, I remember listening, there was some really unscheduled presenters sort of covering him. Mm. And you'd be like, who is this person? Steve Ryder. <laughs> yeah, I know. I wish. John Inverdale. But wasn't he the one who was like, who would have got sacked if it wasn't, if he had said what he said after me too, when he was like, you know, he was talking about a women's tennis player. One Marion Bartley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And said just something outrageous. It was something along the lines of, oh, she wouldn't be winning any beauty contests or something like no, that. No, no, what it was. No, no, it was worse. It was sort of like, I can imagine somebody saying to her, look, you're never going to win a beauty contest. So, contest so you might as well just work really hard at tennis tennis incredible <laughs> yeah. like there are two only two options for a woman yeah, yeah, yeah beauty contest or professional tennis player <laughs> yeah. yeah incredible yeah 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 because otherwise that wasn't you, even you that long ago because i think she didn't she win wimbledon in about 2015 or something so we're not yeah yeah it's, but it it's was within before, the last decade it was before me too which i think yeah. has really good 
well, I mean, for me anyway, it's I think it's a good thing. It's been a game. Happening. Yeah, I think most people think it's a good thing, don't they? I mean, you know, apart from no, like I wouldn't Piers say Morgan. that. No, no, the loudest people think it's a, a, a bad thing, but that, but I think the the sort of you know the silent majority, mind you. I'm hesitant about claiming anything about the silent majority because we're currently the fascists who run this country are currently <laughs> no, claiming exactly. that the, far, the, the silent majority hates asylum seekers <laughs> and want to see all boats sort of torpedoed and people drown, children drowning in the channel. Oh, it's what the yeah. silent majority want. You liberal elite intelligentsia, you know, you, you, you're out of touch. Gary Lineker, back in your box, Gary Lineker, stop talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, read, uh, I, I read or listened, heard somewhere that um, immigration Migration is as as a potent an issue um, uh, for people in the in this country as um, the issue of oral sex is being taught in schools. But what? I'd be more. What's I'd an be more interested. Yeah, so I know. You're that, saying that. So I'd be more interested in that discussion. What, what people oral sex in schools? <laughs> no, well, not. <clears throat> I mean, you know, just teaching it. Getting a bit flustered there, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Cleared your throat. The irony. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. I don't um, remember you being like that oral, in, uh, oral, the late late nineties. Yeah. In uh... people, people think oral sex in schools is a problem. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> says the former teacher, uh, <laughs> secondary school teacher. Um, yeah, so, thanks, on, you're, you're saying no worries, no worries. But we'll keep your identity uh, very very hidden. Um, so you're saying that this subject of asylum is a similarly what sort of provocative or or uh... um red um something to do with like when people are asked what are the top four or five issues in you know that you consider what, of the, importance what, 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 what would dictate how you <laughs> vote you in the next think, general election what do you think asylum about policy and oral sex in schools <laughs> yeah yeah well no 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 do you mean not, sorry do you mean kid this idea which is usually pushed by right-wing hysterical reactionaries about how oh you know it's gone mad they're teaching kids how to do oral sex yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah oh yeah, okay yeah. so basically it's it's from you know um uh sort of puritanical right wing usually uh, you know people who are sort of quite repressed and uncomfortable in their own skin <laughs> who are so terrified at like the idea of children have yeah exactly they more well, they like yeah they like it in some respects <laughs> you uh, never had a good plaza oh, <laughs> yeah funny. yeah yeah oh oh yeah <laughs> Oh, they'll be teaching them. Well, they're going to be teaching about you know they'll they'll be teaching them the correct version of history next. They'll be they'll be saying that colonialism was a bad thing. It really <laughs> is political correctness gone mad. Okay, good. Right, as ever, uh, I'm going to try and start this podcast oh, with uh, some some enlightening questions. You know, the way every, every, for regular listeners, every week when I sat, when I tell him I'm going to ask him some questions that introduce uh, his his character into the sort of wider consciousness because he, you know, Matthew doesn't necessarily contribute to the rest of the podcast as much <laughs> as I do, uh, i.e. he doesn't at all because most of this will be a monologue from me because, you know, you may you may notice, you might pick up that he's not quite as into football as I am and just sort of does this for, a, for you know, to get, get us both sort of dressed and looking at a computer screen. Um, <laughs> from the, from so the I asked him these yeah. questions to, to open, open the, uh, the window to the, uh, the world, a bit like, you know, in the children's TV program, Play School, when they used to open the different colored, uh, sorry, shaped windows uh, to, a, you know, a world of, like a Narnia, like a dream world. And that is very much uh, the ethos that I bring to the questions I asked Matthew. Matthew, question one this week. 
Matthew, it was your birthday this week, and many, many, many happy returns, Matthew. <laughs> Thank you. You Thank are now you. 41 years old. 41 years old. Yeah, Who would have thought we would ever get... I am also 41 years old and have been yeah. for nearly six months. Mm. Who would? Who thought we would have ever got here, Matthew? <laughs> it's a bleak, bleak existence, and the future is bleak. But Matthew, what did you do for your birthday? I told you, oh mate, I told you this before we start recording. He told we, me not to ask this, which is I know. why I'm asking it. He's going to say that he did nothing. Just, I did nothing. I did a couple. I did. I took the dog out for a few walks. Played a bit of catch and throw, as mm-hmm. in I was throwing and she was catching mm-hmm. um, the dog. And um, yeah, not too much, not too much. But um, so you yeah, didn't go no, out for a meal. We got. Um, we went to our local uh, vegan uh, uh, ca- coffee caf- cafe mm-hmm. um, for some "quote unquote" steak sandwiches. So that was nice. So you had a. a so we've gone back to veganism. Have you? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah see, yeah. this is why I asked these questions. You, you you hadn't, you know, in our in our friendship, and I use that word in, <laughs> in inverted commas. Uh, uh, you never, you've not mentioned what, what's provoked you to go back to the full-on veganism. Joe, Joe was Joe was sort of getting <clears> to the stage where she was happy to to go back to veganism. So we we you know she health wise she was sort of um, going through a tougher time, and so we went vegetarian, uh, which was absolutely fine. And then she she's you know all recovered basically, and she was. She was happy to go back to veganism. Yeah, it's quite interesting that your answer to why you've gone vegan again uh, entirely revolved around Jodie. You didn't mention your own name once. So the fact that you, in that time, became addicted to cheese. Uh, <laughs> Are you going to now find it okay to just give up cheese again? I'll just, yeah, I'll just have to get over it. I mean, it, cheese was lovely. Milk was lovely. It was great. But but it's yeah. over. It's over. <laughs> So, just, just. I mean, that is that. You know, that that is. That's it what it's must like have being been 41. love, but it's yeah, over yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> forty-one see, is all about depriving yourself of life's pleasures, isn't it? You just see, oh, what's you know, <laughs> nothing good can come of anything anymore. Good. That's an optimistic way of looking at <laughs> potentially the next forty or fifty years of your life. Yeah, well, heaven forbid. <laughs> Matthew, for your birthday, which was this week, what presents yeah. did you get? Mm. <laughs> one of my presents was just a massive box of just chop i mean i am a i am kind of a big kid in terms of my taste and things no and she I've just never bought, noticed that joe just bought me loads of vegan chocolate marshmallows and sweet well, all dark and... chocolate is vegan chocolate isn't it yeah yeah dark chocolate but but you can get some like you know they, there's all sorts of brands that specialize in in vegan chocolate so yeah so yeah. is it kind of like fake milk chocolate yeah 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 what do they use? Like coconut or something to give it that yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. milky edge. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, probably yeah, yeah. half the chocolate I eat is probably vegan just by. Oh, because you eat dark chocolate. I eat a lot of dark chocolate. Yeah. Like hotel chocolate. Yeah. Oh, well, Joe, I, Joe, Joe got a uh, velvetizer. Did I tell you that recently? She never looked birthday. back. You never looked back when she got one of them. Oh, mate. But, and the thing is, we use. Oh, sorry, this is so dull. We use oat milk in it. It still comes up really nice. Mate, this isn't dull. This is the... This is the <laughs> it's was. only going to go downhill from here. This is the big... You know, this is before we get into the my, my just, you know, rambling uh, observations about football. And... <laughs> yeah. 
So, oat milk still works really well, doesn't it, in a velvetizer? Yeah. I use oat oh, milk all yeah. the time. Oh, well, not, not I use coconut. Or I use a mix. Uh, you know, you can get that combined <laughs> coconut almond milk. Oh, lovely! And once you've had that on cereal, by the way, there really is no going back. There is no need because it just yeah, it makes yeah, yeah, yeah. everything because it gives you the consistency, but extra flavour. It brings to life cereal. I've started what? eating cereal <laughs> again since getting into <laughs> no crunchy nuts or special K, Matthew, and occasionally oh, okay. those little tiny Weetabix things with the little chocolatey fl- flick, thick, like chips Flip. in them. They're they're uh, pretty. Yeah. They're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. They really are. Right. Third <laughs> riveting question. Uh, so so hold on. The answer to yeah. I'm just trying to think of uh, the answer. Of what presents did you get? Some chocolate. Vegan chocolate. Yeah. Right, excellent. Good. Good. Um now that you're forty the uh, third question. Now that you're forty one, would you consider being less of a twat? <laughs> I mean, it's something I've never aspired to. I mean, it, one thing I thought about, you know, since turning forty one is is when you're young. So that's Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Is when I think that's one of the depressing things about getting older is when you're young, like everyone can have a dream, you know, everyone can have aspirations. It's, you know, it's not every, everyone can have that, but, but, but when you get older by nature, only a few people end up achieving their dreams and aspirations. So I think, um, what was the question again? Would you consider being less of a twat? Oh yeah. So so I guess <laughs> for some reason you, become... you're getting into a really deep <laughs> philosophical answer I mean, about the achievement is, of yeah. So life it's nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's something I haven't aspired to. But I guess that is one of the dreams I've achieved, which I never intended to. What being no, a twat? Ne- you dreamt no, of makes, being a sorry. twat. No, no, I didn't dream. It's something that I haven't ever dreamt of becoming that ended up doing so. I mean, that is the worst of all worlds, isn't it? Who was the guy who said, I think, therefore I am? <laughs> Aristotle? No, was it Descartes or someone like that? Anyway, I don't think, no, I think it was a French philosopher. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so it's almost tweet like your... Tweet us. Your, yeah, tweet, tweet us, at <laughs> F unfocused. Um, uh, so your version of that is, I think... I, I envisaged being a twat, therefore I am a twat. <laughs> For brevity's sake, yes. So, so, yes. so the answer to the question is no, you haven't considered not being a twat. Uh, well, not anymore. And just to quickly uh, <laughs> try and bring a more positive uh, spin on onto this, Matthew, as well. Yeah, for all those um, considering you've you've essentially there. told told the world out there that once you're forty, forget any of your hopes and dreams. It's not going to happen. Um, do you not think that because these days life expectancy is uh, significantly longer, people are working longer, people have much more kind of flexible lifestyles. So the kind of the old school pressure of you've got this amount of time to achieve this and then it's over, that's kind of been thrown under the bus really quite a bit. And actually you can kind of, I, I would argue, Matthew, at You're 41 years old. You're trying to here, I think. To an extent, Mark. through you. I'm using <laughs> the prism of you. No, but... You're, you've never been more knowledgeable and world aware as you are now, and you are getting better <laughs> with each passing day, which makes you surely a better contender to succeed in life. What the fuck did you know when you were twenty-two? Um, I can, I can. You know how to tug off a cox. <laughs> <laughs> you spent all your time with coxes, didn't you? When you were, uh, I did. 22. I did. That yeah. was my favourite hours, hours a day. Yeah, just tugging, <laughs> tugging to my hat. If my hands were raw. Raw, yeah. What about the poor cocks? 
Uh, good. Okay. Oh, I did have one actual final, uh, just oh, a no. very quick supplementary right. question. No, nothing to do with your birthday. Do you think there's such a thing as a legitimate asylum seeker? Because <laughs> surely the British 100%. people think definitely not. Yeah. I mean, there's no, no such thing, yeah, is there? Yeah. Uh, I, love, I love our Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, so much. I find her so inspiring that I've even named myself Suella Braverman. For the, you, know, you won't be able to see this, but <laughs> our names appear on the screen where we're looking at each other. And I've, I've named myself after her today because I find her such a source of sort of joy and hope for the future and you know she wrote an article um i I think published in the daily mail this week in which she said hundreds of millions even billions of people could be trying to get to britain which was six or seven six or seven billion people in the world so if a billion people came it's about 20 percent 20% 20% or so of the world's population all yeah. at once are coming coming to Britain. So, you know, better, better That's start running. Like you, our GDP would just go through the roof. If we had a billion more people in this country working, yeah. we would be, our GDP would just go, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, Catatonic. I, you're not going to get much more liberal uh, than me in, in almost every subject, particularly uh, asylum policy. But even I would have to draw the line at a billion people. A country of 68 million people suddenly uh, another billion. <laughs> <laughs> we can't get yeah, the fucking yeah. uh, HS2 bill uh, uh, already. Um but uh, yeah. no, uh, yeah. sorry, I, I, I nearly <laughs> slipped into my reality. There. So I'm going to go back to the party line just in case uh, I ever get a job for the BBC. Uh, no, uh, I think Suella Braverman is absolutely right. I think her figures that a billion people will try and get here are absolutely credible and that she is definitely not a sadistic, tweeted, uh, 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 twisted, fascistic, horrible uh, cunt of a human being. She's definitely not that. She's definitely not that. She's she's lovely. She's lovely, and she's she's she she cares about humanity. And uh, this is a really fair and ethical policy that is in no way an attempt to provoke uh, a culture war as a last ditch attempt to win an election that they think is almost certainly lost because of their performance over the last five years. Uh, It's definitely not that. This is just a fair policy uh, that represents everyday decent Britons. And if you don't support it, you obviously hate Britain. Okay, Uh, football. Matthew. You've been watching football, haven't you? Well, you sort of said to me, well, you acknowledged in our pre-recording chat that, oh, there's loads to talk about. So bring it and to then me, I Matthew. Forgot, what have you got? And then, oh, then I forgot, forgot about all the things. <laughs> Brilliant. So, okay, well, we, we, we might as well, you know, the man you, Liverpool. Oh, the elephant. You want to go? You want to go with the elephant in the room, do you? <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any point beating around the bush. No, it's not I good. mean, that was a magical night for as, as much not as for it Roy was Keane a night. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly for them. Um, but yeah, you yeah, were there. I was there. Uh, as in, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I'm a supporter of Liverpool Football Club, and it was a home match. So yes, I I was there. Um, as I'm sure every supporter of uh, uh, that the great club in Manchester, I'm sure all their all their fans uh, were there for the game back at Old Trafford in um, in in August. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, there you go, snide point number one. Uh, just, just petty, <laughs> petty point scoring points. I'm going to dig at the, the amount of. Uh, I mean, I look, look as a, as someone who supports a club who I've got no geographic or family connection to. I, I accept that you know 
I'm in a glass house when criticising the uh, the sort of you know the biggest club in Guildford. Um, but uh, but I will say that I've, I've always been of the firm belief that if you if you do go down that road and decide to support a club um, that you've got no connection to, you kind of have to work treble hard to gain any credibility as a football fan. Otherwise, you are just the laughing stock. I would if I didn't go to Liverpool regularly, I would dread telling people I was a Liverpool fan. I feel I can do it with my head held high because I'm like, yeah, look at my attendance record since 1998, mate. You know, like I've earned my fucking stripes. Yeah, I'm literally there. You know, I've been, been through hell and high water with those fuckers, right? Whereas if you're just like, you know, Bob from Sudbury and you just, you know, the most you'll do is put on your replica shirt, which you brought from Sports Direct and go down your local pub and, you know, claim a connection to... A club. If that is the extent of your support that you're not a fucking fan just just in that case that is the one scenario in which i would say to someone support your bloody local team like just do because what where's your credit where's it what are you getting out of it like imagine if i suddenly decided I, i've always like liked the way barcelona play football if i just suddenly declared myself a barcelona fan but despite not being from barcelona not even being from the same country and uh having never seen them before apart from when they came up to anfield and took a four near final spanking in 2019 in the greatest home match of my my life um I would rightly be derided as, oh yeah, well you, you you like to see Barcelona do well, and you watch them on TV. You're not really a fan, are you? You know, you're not you're not from there. You've never you never you never been. You never got like you know. You're just somebody who likes to see them do well. And I would say, yes, you are absolutely right. That is exactly what I am, and that is exactly what the majority of the people who who shout and ironically they're the ones who shout the loudest when when we actually lost to them back in August two um, one. Uh, which is remarkable that in the aggregate score in Liverpool's last five games against uh, our oldest rivals is, I, and I can't believe I'm saying this, I, I, I never thought in my life that this would be the case. 21-4 <laughs> is the aggregate score. 21-4. That's not two school teams playing each other. That's not like some like five-a-side uh, aggregate score. That is two of the what well, the two historically biggest clubs in this country playing each other biggest rivalry matches that are almost always kind of on a tight rope and in, incredibly sort of tense and and nail biting and even when one team is better than the other you kind of never know how to result liverpool in the 80s and 70s were always the better team but had an atrocious record against their biggest rivals and even in the 90s and 2000s when Ferguson's a lot were cleaning up the trophies. We would very consistently go in and give them a bloody nose. So there's always been this sort of to and fro. I never thought in my lifetime I would I would watch five games where we come out of it with a 21-4 aggregate score. And bear in mind, we absorbed a defeat in there, the one earlier season. We lost a game 2-1 and still 21. I mean, so in there, there's a 7-0, a 4-0, a 5-0 and a 4-2. It's incredible. It is incredible. And, you know, it is difficult not to be sort of smug about it. So I try. So, so you know, so I won't bother trying not to. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I suppose the only one point I will make, I will move on because no one wants to hear me just gloating. Um, for, for, well, well, actually, I don't care whether they do or not. I'm going to. Because um, <clears throat> they fucking do it when it's the other way. Bloody hell. Um, is that there's two points to make. Firstly, <clears throat> well, actually, no, they're kind of connected to one. And this is actually to try and make it more interesting and relevant. It is a kind of broader point in the sort of transience and the lack of consistency in punditry and football coverage moreover, sort of moreover. I remember when 
when when Alex Ferguson retired and then there was that season where David Moyes had got the job and you could see immediately there was a kind of fall off in standards. This club that had been a winning machine had won 13 titles in 20 years and uh, won the European Cup uh, twice in that time as well. Um, they went from that to really a, a, quite a dramatic and rapid uh, decline. And in that season... Uh, the 13-14 season. That also happened to be when Liverpool, out of nowhere, just produced a team, uh, a run of form that very nearly won them the title when it hadn't been for Stephen Gerrard's unfortunate, unfortunate trip, almost certainly would have um, won the title. And that was a, still a remarkable season, despite not actually winning it in the end. But there were so many conversations during that time when we were in this incredible form and playing this amazing attacking football. And, and that was... That was that season, that spell for that season was more explosive just in terms of the pure destructive nature of it than pretty much anything that we've done, even under Jurgen Klopp, who's, you know, up there with the greatest managers the club has ever had. That that was an amazing three or four months. Um, and I remember distinctly the conversations then in the in the media, on the sort of TV and radio coverage. And it would it would often be about how, let's not forget that, yes, Liverpool are in great form at the moment, but for example, we won we won three 0 at Old Trafford that uh, that season, and I remember before the game, it's saying, "Yeah, but this is still, you know, Liverpool have still got to go to this imposing arena and beat this team who have been, you know, defining uh, success in in this country for the last twenty years, and still a big a psychological and physical hurdle to overcome, and they're still a great team." And last season they were champions, and that, all of that was true. And yes, we went on to to beat them, but you know, all of that was true. I I haven't heard kind of any of that this season when the roles have been reversed. And to an extent, it applies to, um, I mean, Arsenal have been almost unfaultable this season. They are incredible. And I, for one, I know I'm talking to a Tottenham fan, admittedly not necessarily the most partisan Tottenham fan, but I, for one, genuinely hope they win the league. I really do. I think it would be really good for football in this country. It would send out a message that, it needn't be all about big money signings and, you know, um, sort of, you know, um, uh, takeovers from despotic regimes uh, spending uh, in money um, generated by sort of state assets. Uh, it can just be about a bit of patience, good coaching, using academy products, some smart uh, transfer uh, purchases and re-engaging with the fans and creating a, a momentum that is, you know, seems at the moment pretty much unstoppable. And they've got themselves in a position now whereby they could even absorb a couple of defeats in their more challenging games for the rest of the season and probably still win the league. So I really hope they do it. So maybe Arsenal can kind of put, put them aside from this to an extent. But the, the coverage going into last weekend's game was I think the reason that the seven nil win was was doubly satisfying, you know, uh, despite you know it's always going to be amazing to beat your, your biggest rivals by that that, that score. Um, but I think because the build up to the game, you'd think that we were playing against a team that had been you know rattling in every trophy under the sun for a decade prior to the match, and that we were this sort of hopeless, meek. Um, uh, opposition that were just, you know, desperate to just, oh, if we can cling on for a point, we'll be so grateful. Whereas you know, Liverpool have been in three of the last five Champions League finals. They won a league title and lost another league, two league titles on the last other season by one point. In both of those seasons, they got points totals, which were bigger than anything that Manchester United got in any of their 20 successful league title campaigns. And 
and and also last season they played every competitive match uh, that they could. No team's ever done that before. Every single competitive match they got to the final of every you know every competition. Won both domestic cups, lost the Champions League final, lost the title on the again on the last day of the season by one point, going into the ninety points again. So because Liverpool have had a, a very uh, indifferent and unpredictable season, and because Eric Ten Hag has managed to turn all of those underperforming um, sort of, you know, some would say sort of overpaid um, uh, prima donnas into an effective unit by by making some really good purchases, flushing out the uh, rotten core that was uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And on that, you know, as someone from the outside looking in, I have to say fair play to them for that because he's a player I've always uh, utterly despised. And I thought that the way he treated his second spell at Old Trafford was a, a complete disgrace. You know, because despite all the rivalry and, you know, the to and fro in, they are a fantastic uh, historic football club. And he is somebody who, despite being one of the greatest players of all time, he is not bigger than that football club. And the way he behaved when he came back was like, he. I think he genuinely in his head is. And maybe you can do that if you're going to finish in your career at Barnsley, but he's not. He's playing for, <laughs> you know, the, the biggest supported club in this country and one of the biggest supported clubs in the world. Um so they've done really well to get him out, and they've done. They've, they've had a brilliant run of form. They've, they're top of the form league since um, since the World Cup, um, the resumption after the World Cup, and you know they obviously won the League Cup the week before and all that. So they're definitely going in the right direction. But the the, the comparison between twenty fourteen and now essentially boils down to the the pre match stuff. There was there was just no acceptance that despite the form, the indifferent form this season that. That they were that the Manchester United were coming to Anfield and playing against a team who had been formidable for five years beforehand. That was just a right. They're in great form. They've won the League Cup. You know they've surpassed Liverpool and they're going to win this. And Graham Souness, the great Graham Souness, I'm sure people who don't support Liverpool probably find him a divisive character, but I don't give a fuck. I think he's an absolute king of punditry. And so. Like even despite being in his seventies now, he is still such an hard bar. He's a terrifyingly hard bastard, like that, that death stare. And he just looks. He's looked after himself so much physically. You just think he could literally still just take any man down and goes anywhere <laughs> fucking. Near. He's a genuine psychopath. Even Roy Keane fucking quivers in his presence. And um, um, you know when he said before the match on uh, on TV that uh, he'd never been more confident that Liverpool were going to turn up, put in a performance and win. And like a couple of uh, schoolboys in the playground or at the back of the classroom, Roy Keane and Gary Neville literally sniggered at him. They literally sniggered at him. Um, and to then get such instant vindication and then the satisfaction that by the end of the match, Neville and Keane had to face the indignity of of, of sitting across a studio and and sort of eating humble pie. And Roy Keane, to be fair to him, did eat humble pie. He was kind of like, yeah, you know, you can't defend that. That's a 7-0 humiliation to players. You should never lose by that amount. You know, Liverpool, that is literally the joint record defeat in their club's history. Forget this Premier League era, in the club's history. Um, but Gary Neville, just, you know, just like the, I don't know, I've always had great respect for Gary Neville as a pundit. And obviously on the on the sort of political side, he's something of a, 
a hero. Uh, I can't believe those words have just come out of my mouth, but he really is. Mm. Um, but uh, my God, he didn't show himself in in a good light. He really let himself down at the weekend. You know, being quite sort of petulant and pathetic. His 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 approach seemed to be like, right, you got your seven nil. Well done, congratulations, right? But today was a freak, and you know it wouldn't happen again. And uh, Manchester United have still made incredible progress this season. And today they're just sort of letting and. They were, he was be, sort of being challenged that, do you not think any of this was down to Liverpool playing well? And he was, I don't know whether it was just a case of, you know, he was in a bad mood, he was emotional and belligerent just sort of stuck in, but he was not accepting that any of any of the um, responsibility for that that result was down to um, down to Liverpool's good play. And it just, it just reminded me that I do think that the significance of it, the, the sort of overall point is that there's been a, a, quite a fundamental shift within the last nine, 10 years the, the the sort of I, probably caused by social media as most ills of society are that um, that it's become more like sort of fan TV rather than sort of serious punditry. This idea of just getting people who are who are kind of attached to one club or the other and turn it into sort of a, a partisan argument rather than just proper you know uh, uh, expertise based on their. Uh, you know, distinguished careers. That's what you sort of tune in for. If you want to watch fan TV, essentially, you, you know, that the famous Arsenal one where they, you know, they put the mic in front of someone bitching outside <laughs> the Emirates, uh, then you'd watch that. But that's not what you tune in to watch. You've got people there between Gary Neville, Graham Souness, Jamie Carragher and Roy Keane. You've got multiple Champions League, domestic championships, you know, international honours, everything like that. And you want you want proper critical analysis of the game, not having it reduced to sort of throwing throwing um, uh, custard pies at each other because you know that's what that's what the social media is for, and that's what the you know the <laughs> awful football phone ins are for. We've clickbait uh, morons like Robbie Savage just saying, "All right, so who's the better team today? Then who's the bigger club? You know, you lost last week, so you're not as big a club as them, are you?" And yeah, yes or no? Call or five hundred nine hundred nine six nine three. And that's you know, and that is, and then and people are, oh yeah, I'm gonna ring up, I'm gonna ring up, I'm gonna ring up. I'm so angry about that. Um, so yeah, so that is the point I would make. Really, that it's just it's just too easy to sort of forget. But it, it's not. This isn't just a thing related to last weekend. It happens too often. Form. Manchester City, right? Have been like an unbelievable machine of success for essentially the best part of a decade now, because it's not just even the Guardiola era. They won the title in 2012 and 2014, and they were sort of in and amongst it. But really, from 2018 onwards, what they won, four league four league titles at the last five, isn't it? 18, 19, 21, 22. They've got a great chance of winning it again this year. Um, but they had one year, the year that Liverpool won the league, 2020, City kind of imploded to um, quite a large extent and had a run of form very similar to what Liverpool have kind of done this season. And I don't remember at any point anyone sort of saying, oh, they're, they've gone. They, they were sort of saying, right, it's obviously not happening for them this season, but I'm sure they'll regroup in the summer and turn it back around. Maybe that was to do with the fact that everyone knows they're always going to spend big and that that knowledge isn't there for Liverpool. I don't, I don't know. But, but it just, I just think some perspective and a bit of calmness would serve punditry um very well and you know give people much better sort of quality of um of analysis um Tottenham were knocked out of the Champions League last night Matthew um, <laughs> we were very very emotional about that and it seems that the manager the dream combination of Antonio Conte and Tottenham is going to come crashing down in the same way that it did for insert name here uh, Mourinho and uh, you know very very pretty much every Spurs manager in the last twenty years, apart from 
uh, Maurizio Pochettino. Okay. Yeah. Would you like to see him back? back? Well, would you? I mean, I think that would be good. Uh, it would be great for the club, I think. I really, I read it. I read, I said I read an article. I read a headline that said yeah. it wouldn't be good. It would be. You Why know, look at the detail resist. when you can just read the headline? That <laughs> 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 they should resist going back. That, you know, the, sort of the second. Yeah. Sort of second time rounds are often not, you know, don't don't live up to the potential. It's not doing Carlo Ancelotti any harm at Real Madrid, is it? No, okay. All right. Oh, you can always pick up, you know. Yeah, yeah. You can always (laughs) pick up holes in arguments with facts. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do do see that. I think think that when you've had a spell at a club... And And Kane might leave anyway. And then you'd really, would really... I'm not convinced Kane will ever leave Tottenham. You go, you sort of go oh, through really? these motions every year. It's similar. Liverpool had a spell like it was Steven Gerrard in the sort of mid 2000s. When a, when a player looks like they're outperforming their club to such an extent and not picking up any reward for it, there's always this sense that they're going to go at some point. But surely, if Kane was, I know he was stopped from going the summer before last, and there's, there's no doubt he definitely wanted to go at that stage. But I don't yeah. know. I just feel maybe his time has his, his opportunity to to move has gone. And it's I, I get the sense with him that he's probably quite happy to finish his career as an all-time Tottenham legend who's devoted his entire career to the club and probably end up being a Premier League's top scorer. Maybe that'll be enough for him, even if he doesn't win a trophy. No, surely not. Surely he must look at someone like Carl Walker and think, I'm fucking better than that guy. But they he's play completely different positions. <laughs> <laughs> like saying, you know... Bye. Oh. That Peter uh, uh, Shilton, he was nowhere near as good as Gaza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that you could just look at anyone and think I'm better than them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, uh, Even though so, they do a completely different job to what well, I do. Well, every single person who's been in the cabinet for the last uh, f- four years, yeah, I'm definitely, I can honestly say I'm, I'm not much in this life, but I am better than all of them um, in every fucking way imaginable. Um, yeah. yeah, well, I, d- I don't know. I just think we've, it feels like with Tottenham, we we should probably talk he, about Tottenham in a bit could, more detail. He could win a surely he deserves to win some silverware. Yeah, he does. He definitely does. Yeah, but think how much better you know. Alan Shearer always says that you know he won the, he won the league title at, at Blackburn, so kind of got that ticked off. You know, so he'll always be a league champion. Yeah. And then he spent what the last ten years of his career essentially achieving nothing at Newcastle. But he walked out the door being the club's all time record goal scorer probably the biggest legend in the history of the club, the talisman, you know, a, a statue until Mike Ashley had it taken down or whatever, through some petty argument. Um, and so, uh, you know, he always says he wouldn't change any, you know, he had opportunities to to go to Old Trafford, to go big money moves abroad, and he wouldn't change it for the world because he's a legend at the club that that is in his heart. And I, I don't know, I think maybe there's a little bit of that with Harry Kane, I think, you know. Mm. I know what you're saying, but you know, would you? What mean? It's like Stephen Gerrard said when he chose ultimately. Again, despite, he won stuff. He won loads. He of did, stuff in but the he end. didn't win the league. And uh, he, if yeah, I think if he hadn't won that champ, that miraculous Champions League in 2005, maybe he probably, you know, he, he would have been like, I need it. to go. Yeah, I don't yeah, need yeah. to go. But he won every other trophy other than the the league, and he and he came very close to win the league. So that's a much better career than 99.9 percent of footballers finish with. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, he's an all time great, but. He always he said ultimately when when the Chelsea opportunity was there he was thinking to himself well you know winning the league cup with Liverpool would probably be more meaningful for me than winning the league title with a club with which I've got no affiliation and you know I I suspect there's a certain amount of that with Kane I realize mm. that I'm going to sound really stupid when he goes uh, in the summer uh, but also 
would he play against Tottenham for another Premier League club? And if not, yeah. So there's always been this he talk would. about, but I'm not sure. It's like Frank Lampard. I always remember Frank Lampard scoring against Chelsea. What for Man City? And, yeah, yeah, but and that was different. That, and he did that whole like non-celebratory that that became quite fashionable. With, well, it still uh, is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so yeah, do, so yeah, no, I, yeah, but that was okay. a little bit different. In that, by then, Frank Lampard was probably about thirty-five or something, and he had sort of <laughs> come to a natural end at Chelsea and wanted to just have a bit of a last hurrah. I think he went, he went to City for a season or two, and then went and played in America. Whereas Harry Kane's still very much in his prime. He's, a, I think, he's thirty mm. this summer, is he? So he's still, you know, and mm. and the way he looks after himself and the expectation of a, a, a modern day player, you think maybe he could carry on till his mid thirties, even as a centre forward. So. It does sometimes get a bit fat over the summer. Do <laughs> I don't know, man. No, that, a that's, little bit. That's quite a claim. But that's probably quite, you know... It, I think, yeah, he... Yeah, there's some people that are probably more... He, he has to work hard at his athleticism, and he is very, very athletic. But I don't think it comes quite as much. I don't think I've ever looked at Harry Kane and thought he had a weight issue. I know he, looked, there, he was a bit, was a bit chunky when he was a little bit. Oh right, wasn't there a few seasons ago where he was looking in some of the, some of the pre-season friendlies? He was looking slightly, just like a little bit bulgy. Possibly, I maybe I, maybe I was just maybe too closely. Yeah, I suppose maybe. Yeah, I mean, you know, g- genetics dictate that some people find it easier to stay in the you know amazing shape than others. But uh, I don't think. I mean, he I always mean, comes across as being incredibly sort of fit and driven and. I know he gets. Yeah, yeah. He's always he had problems with his ankles and stuff over the years, hasn't he? But mm-hmm. uh, but he's you know he's his record's incredible, really. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, we'll see. But if he if he chose, for example, if he decided that he couldn't play against Tottenham and 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 his only way out would be to say, for example, Bayern Munich had been interested in him in a, for a number of years, then he is essentially giving up on his opportunity to be Premier League's all time top goal scorer. So it's gonna it is going to come down to what's what are the most important things to him. And I but you're always quite sneery about the Premier League top scorer. You're always a bit like... I know I am, but I'm not representative of how modern day footballers <laughs> think, unfortunately, Matthew. Yeah, I think it's... It, well, yeah. it's a completely meaningless stat because it's not... If, if the if the Premier League <laughs> top scorer was the all-time league top scorer, then fantastic. But it's not. Yeah. You know, Jimmy Greaves has scored more goal in English, goals in English football than Alan Shearer. Yet you look at a graphic every time you turn on telly and Alan Shearer is at the top of the list with 260 and it discounts the sort of 100 years that came before it. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, they've rebranded it, you fool. I'm not driving a <laughs> mini metro. Um, okay, we'll you... call it a day there, Matthew, because uh, we've gone over the 40-minute mark and I know it's a magic number that you are somewhat fixated on. But before we go, I just wanted to leave you on the bombshell a congratulatory bombshell. I feel that you and I should congratulate our good mutual friend, uh, David Matenga. Some might call now the great David Matenga, uh, who has completed the unbelievable achievement of having done all six of the world-recognized uh, marathon courses, which I believe are New York, Chicago, Boston, uh, Berlin, London, and finally last week, Tokyo. Uh, so as we are recording this, he's probably getting ready to fly back from Tokyo. That is a hell of an achievement and uh, quite uh, a sacrifice to make in terms of the, the travel, the cost, and not least actually running those marathons. So well <laughs> done, uh, David. And I think I think it's right from the Football Unfocused family that we mark 
that that achievement and 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 say that I for one certainly will never be attempting to repeat it. I don't know about you, Matthew. You're you've done an Iron Man. No, no, yeah, massive chapeau, David. Um, yeah, good job. Amazing, amazing. Good. Over and out. Goodbye from Football Unfocused for another week, and uh, see you hopefully next week. <laughs>